You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I am super excited today to be joined by Dr. Teresa Brocky. Uh, Dr. Brocky is an indigenous nurse scientist and educator whose culturally safe research focuses on achieving health equity through community-based prevention and intervention of suicide, trauma, and adverse childhood experiences among vulnerable populations using cultural interventions. She is an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins School of Nursing with a joint appointment in the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg Center for Indigenous Health. She is Ani from Fort Belknap Reservation, Montana. Dr. Brocky earned her PhD at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing and completed a postdoctoral fellowships with the National Institute of Health Clinical Center. She is principal investigator or co-investigator on 11 projects, including two R01s and two randomized control trials. Dr. Brocky is a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing, currently serving as a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. In 2020, she received the Brilliant New Investigator Award from the Council for the Advancement of Nursing Science, American Academy of Nursing, and received the Rear Admiral Faye G. Abdullah Award for Nursing Research from the United States Public Health Service in 2016. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brocky. Thank you. Um, so uh, we'll start with my regular questions for all my guests is, how did you decide to get into the profession of nursing? So when I was growing up on the Fort Belknap Reservation, um, I witnessed the great work of public health nurses were doing in our community. Um, not only engaging our community, but advocating for our people uh, and improving health outcomes. Um, however, it wasn't until uh, when my grandmother was dying from cancer um, and was provided care in her home that I intimately observed the care um, and love provided by our tribal public health nurses. Um, I was inspired then by them to give back to my community um, by becoming a public health nurse. Fantastic. Um, what was your process in uh, when you first decided to, you said you're going to go into the field of nursing. How was nursing school for you? Um, it was a challenge and, and, and I understand, I, I understand the challenge now, um, um, looking back from where I, I currently stand, um, none of the nursing content, um, included anything about indigenous people. There were no indigenous faculty. Um, there were a lot of other students in, in my program. Um, I was part of the, um, 
RAIN program at the University of North Dakota, that is the recruitment um, and retention of American Indian nurses um, housed at the, at the University of North Dakota. Um, they've um, graduated, supported and graduated a lot of native nurses in that area. Um, so uh, there was a lot of uh, other students, but very limited. I, I, I don't think we even had any nursing faculty uh, who were native there. Um, how, how, did, how did that impact uh, your learning? Because one of the reasons I do this podcast is, um, is making sure that, uh, you know, the diversity I bring to the, to the podcast is, is purposeful because I want to make sure that uh, people see nurse scientists, nurse leaders, or what have you of different backgrounds and cultures, because we don't always get to see those in those in the textbooks that we that we read or the people that will be always engaged with. So how do you think that impacted you? Uh, not not necessarily seeing someone that you could from on a faculty level where you can, uh, you know, e either model after or or see see as a role model. Um, I think by then I was not comfortable, but accustomed mm. to the exclusion of, of native people, um, in all aspects of research. Right. Uh, so you, so you get, um, American history that, that is, is void of anything closely related to the history of native people in this country. Um, so you, you you learn how to debate at a young age um, your truth mm. um, and the book's truth. Um, and often, you know, teachers who, who assign your grade, um, you're debating these with. Um, so by then, I had lived a life of, of, of primarily of a of one of exclusion, exclusion of native people at all, at all aspects of, of, of this country. Wow. Um, now on the other side, you mentioned that there were other, uh, students in the class that were native. Um, how did that impact you or what do you, what difference do you think that made for you? It inspired me. Uh, just as the nurses, the native nurses working in my community inspired me, um, their success inspired me. Um, I had also become aware of other, other nurses, although not at that university, at other universities who were faculty, who were researchers, um, mm. you know, so from afar you admire them, um, and you, you want to be them, um, and you look up to them. Uh, so that was kind of how it was. And those are the things that that motivate you to to finish your your degree or to complete your degree in, in nursing. Well, I, I'm certainly happy that you finished your degree and uh, I'm here and speaking to you now. Um, how was your experience once you finished the program? How was uh, going back? Did you go straight into public health nursing or did you... I did. Um, and I grew up, um, as I said, on the Fort Belknap Reservation and um, being served primarily by uh, healthcare by the Indian Health Service. And I remember um, it was kind of ingrained in my in my mind um, what my grandmother used to say. And that was that um, we get healthcare providers that come here to practice on us. Um, and they 
you know, learn their skill by practicing on us and then they leave. Mm. So that there's no consistency in care, but almost for the most part seen as guinea pigs, right? Wow. For people who want to come and practice. So I had it in my mind that I was not going to go and, you know, go home and practice on my people. So, so I went to California and practiced on others. <laughs> um, I, I, I chose um, to, um, well, I, I got a job at the San Diego American Indian Health Center, which is, mm. is how I ended up in California. Uh, not being familiar with the Indian health system, um, mm -hmm. how is that experience, do you think, different than somebody that's graduating a, a nursing program and going into and working in urban settings uh, that are that are, you know, just serving the general population? Um. Uh, from the from a nursing perspective or what? yeah 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 from the nursing perspective uh like as far as you know um just just knowing uh, a little bit uh, of a background on 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 how some of the um uh some of the indian health systems work and you know i have i'm a little bit familiar with what the alaska system look, kind of looks like uh and um sometimes they're they're they're, they're under resourced uh um, so how do you think the experiences of you working in that setting versus uh, like a one of the big hospital settings would be different? Um, let's see. So the Indian Health Service is the government agency that is charged with providing care to eligible Native Americans, and that includes 574 federally recognized tribes, about 2.9, 2.5 million Native Americans. Yeah. Um, it is funded at 60% oh, um, wow. of what is needed. Um, so, uh, and there, uh, the the vacancy nurse vacancy rate is, are very high compared to to the you know. U.S. average um, vacancy rates. The RN uh, vacancy rate is, you know, uh, like about twenty-three uh, percent uh, vacancy rate in Indian Health Service. So among the twelve geographical areas, um, and it is in the more remote regions, it is forty percent. Um, the overall nurse vacancy rate in the U.S. is about seven point five or seven and a half percent, so significant difference. Um, yeah. And even if you look at uh, further, if you look at uh, nurse practitioners, the vacancy rate there is thirty six percent, and as high as sixty percent in in some IHS areas. So depending on where you're going, um, there's an, a great need. Significant or tremendous health disparities experienced by some of these communities, especially the rural and remote communities. Um, wow. Um, wow, that's I mean, I mean, look, hearing these numbers, it's amazing uh, uh, that there's such uh, such disparities among the two, the you know, the two areas of healthcare. Um, now, I have a question for you and i'm going to i want to get back into your career path in a minute but 
while we're here. Um, how would you, uh, you know, what would be your recommendation or suggestion uh, to decrease those numbers because, uh, or to close some of the gaps between what the um, government provides uh, as far as uh, funding or what, and also how do we get more healthcare workers um, into these areas to clo close the gap and do we want to, you know, I'm asking a lot of questions now, do we want to invest uh, more in, in the native populations that we create nurses in the native populations to fill those gaps or how do we become, um, and I hate the word, word culturally competent, I have to put that out there right now, uh, how do we increase more nurses uh, that, are, that are culturally aware um, and can provide equitable health care in these populations? Well, I don't think it's about culturally competent care. Um, if the vacancy rate is 60%, that means we're not, we're not recruiting the right nurses mm. that will go to these communities. And so if um, the, the nurse, uh, if, if we look at the, the nurses that work in either Indian house service, tribal or urban settings, 60% of them are native. That means they come from those communities. They're gonna stay in those communities that we're gonna work. Um, that, that means that if we want to change that vacancy rate, we have to start recruiting nurses from those communities. From those communities. Yeah. And I think and that goes- strategic and focused about it, not like general. Right. General does not work for us. Right. Um, and, and I think that that holds true for more, most communities uh, that tend to be underserved, that when we recruit from those communities, they tend to go back into those communities and serve um, the population. Uh, I'd like but, to see that report. Yeah. Well, well I mean, yeah, but I but, you know, just looking at, you know, for, for example, uh, up until this past summer, I was serving I was I was an educator at a, or faculty at. Uh, at a university that primarily served the LA basin um, and the communities that we served like just around the university tend to be an underserved Hispanic population where most of our graduates stay in the community and are in those in those hospitals and in those community settings um, so I mean that's just my own personal example uh, but I think that would be uh, that's something you know um, hopefully somebody's doing some work or somebody hears this and, and, and gets a light bulb over their head uh, to invest more specifically and strategically that we're recruiting from the communities, educating and putting back into the community with investments, right? Um, so, so we can do that. Okay, thank you. Um, back to your career, obviously you didn't stop at your bachelor's degree. How did you decide you're going to go on and further your education? What was your motivation around that? Um, I believe someone in my, um, in my undergrad program planted a seed, as they say, um, that I should further my education. So, so it was there, but I also, I took, uh, maybe one or two introductory nursing, I mean, not nursing, but, um, research courses 
And I was not really liking research. Um, so at that point, right, it's a beginning, a very, it's not even a beginning, it's just an introduction. Right. Um, so, um, so it was there. The thought was 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 for me to advance my uh, education. Um, was there? Um, like I said, I went after I graduated from the University of North Dakota. I first went to San Diego, um, California, and got a job there at the Urban Indian uh, Health Clinic there um, as a public health nurse, working in this. I mean, I came from Hayes, Montana. There's like probably less than 500 people there to this huge, you know, San Diego County is <laughs> where I was working. So that was a big difference, but um, native people are native people. And so I did what I knew and started developing uh, programs and, and working with people in the, in the way that I saw in the way that, that we do. And so um, that was a great learning experience. Um, and then from there, I went to, um, uh, San Jose, uh, which is in Northern California, uh, and worked at the San Jose American Indian Health Center as a um, as the community health services director and uh, slash public health nurse. And then um, it was there that my um, that my skills were um, being honed and developing programs and. Um, I was really excited about the work that I was doing. Um, and I will say that some of the programs that, that we created when I was there are still running. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about that. But it was also a time where I, where I thought, oh, if I had this, then I could be more efficient at my job or this skill or that skill. So um, I thought, well, uh, this would be a good time for me to go and get a master's degree and and then I'll come back to California and continue working and doing my job. Uh, so I was I looked for uh, dual degree programs, MSN and PH programs. Um, I ended up coming to Hopkins for their master's of uh, um, master's in nursing um, with a focus on public um, community or public health. Um, so it was a 17, at the time, 18 month, 24 month program. It was very short. I drove my little, my truck out here and I had my music, my books and my, um, you know, what I needed to get through a master's degree. And I thought, well, in a, in a short while, I'll be back out into California. And that was in 2003. Um, halfway through my master's program, I, I, came to understand, uh, came to the understanding that um, if I wanted to have an impact on the health and healthcare of Native people, then it is best done um, through data, through research. Right. So um, in, in, at that point, I said, well, I'll just get a PhD. And <laughs> it was a little naive for me because I, I didn't know anybody um, personally in my family who had a PhD, um, but thinking that it was, you know, I'll do this. <laughs> um, so I, I went from a master's, my master's degree right into a PhD program. Wow, amazing. Um, 
and I think that that's one of the that's that, that I think that's a commonality that I that I hear quite a bit um, uh, from the people I speak to on the show is um, the PhD program really comes as a result of of impact, right? Like, how can I have bigger impact uh, in the work that I'm doing? And the PhD or the doctoral programs tend to open more doors for us and give us a different skill set um, that 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 helps us get around myself being prime example is I had just finished or I was in, in the process of finishing my own dissertation work in my PhD program where a big university reached out to me and said hey can you do this paper on this topic that we're looking for and they just happened to have known what I was working on through a colleague of mine um, so yeah that impact really really is uh, why a lot of people go into the doctoral programs or PhD programs more specifically so thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, not a lot, uh, not a little, but a lot, about the work that you're doing. I mean, you're doing, you're on there's 11 different projects and uh, work doing doing a lot of work around research. That's been your, um, what you kind of went into the field for. Um, can you share with us what kind of work you have done uh, and what where you see yourself moving forward as your career progresses? So I, I did my uh, dissertation study on the Fort Peck, a reservation in, in Montana with the Assiniboine and Sioux tribes or the Nakoda and uh, Dakota tribes. Um, in 2010, the tribe experienced a suicide cluster um, and the tribal leadership declared a state of emergency uh, related to suicide and July of 2010. And we conducted or I conducted my dissertation research um, in 2011. So very close to a suicide cluster. Um, but my study, dissertation study looked at the risk and protective factors for youth suicide. Um, so we surveyed 288 uh, youth 15 to 24 years of age. That the findings of that study were used to develop um, an intergenerational intervention to address stress and trauma with parents and um, improve outcomes for their three to five year old children. So it's um, focused on both historical and contemporary traumas. Uh, we're currently recruiting, it's a randomized control trial. Um, we're currently recruiting uh, participants for that study. Um, Amazing work uh, um, uh, and very much needed. Um, how much do you think being um, of uh, being native yourself um, impacts uh, the studies that you do, because there aren't that many uh, Native American scientists, especially nurse scientists, that are doing this kind of work. How much do you think uh, you having that background um, brings to the table or makes the um, study different than somebody else doing the study? I think it... Um... My 
world is based upon my lived experience and um, my research questions will certainly be different from someone else who had a different background. Um, so I think that it, it um, in that way, it, it influences my research questions. So from a, from a, from a diversity perspective, right? Um, because uh, we are, again, we are in a profession that is dominant, dominantly uh, white and female. Mm -hmm. um, how do we, do you think uh, having a diverse population of scientists or how will a, diver, a more diverse population of scientists impact research overall? Uh, and if you think that impact is important, how do we diversify uh, the population of nurse scientists? Well, um, I, I think that uh, it's common to see in, in research papers and here among um, colleagues, um, it's, it's a hard to reach community. It's hard to mm -hmm. reach. Um, when we use that language, that means we're not, we're not gonna do the work because it's, you know, we make that assumption. It's an assumption because we don't know. Um, uh, so I, I think that one, we should take steps to diversify, to meet needs of populations that we're not having an impact on or health disparities, but also for research, right? right. Um, how many of my colleagues have here at, the, here at the university have engaged in Native American, work with Native Americans, um, you know, before me or after me. Right. So if you're not um, gonna do the work, you should at least recruit people who will do the work. So, <clears throat> From uh, from a perspective, and 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 this is coming actually from a from a personal interest, uh, where uh, I my work is uh, is primarily with the veterans population, um, uh, and I know a little bit of there's a little bit of data on um, uh, even though our um, Native Americans have served in in almost every uh, you know uh, uh, war that we can think of, or uh, they have served in every war we can think of. Um, how do we, uh, um, how do we engage uh, with uh, with different populations? Uh, what do you think would be the first step for somebody that is looking to uh, that is looking to engage with with a native population, but may not necessarily feel that they have the um, the cultural understanding or the cultural awareness of, of what they need to do. I think they can partner or they can collaborate with other researchers yeah or with uh, with native communities i think um native communities would welcome that that would be great um from a um again coming from from somebody who is uh, again interested in a population um are there resources for somebody like for example again uh me uh, looking to to engage in the pop with the population, are there resources for me to um, look at or educate myself on 
um, before jumping into a research study just because somebody may think, oh, here's something that hasn't been studied and instead of just jumping straight into it. Should they be, uh, you know, I, I'm a qualitative researcher. I, I really believe in uh, in the engagement and partnering with, with the community that I'm studying. Uh, is there opportunity? But again, uh, I, I hate going into those conversations naive about everything. <laughs> I'd like to know. So is there is there are there opportunities uh, or what opportunities should I take advantage of if I'm looking to engage with a community of people? I think there's there's a lot of published literature on engaging mm -hmm. with Native communities. Um, about what to do, about what not to do. I think that would be a good start. And as researchers, that's you know kind of where we start. We look yeah. into literature to see what's what's out there and what's available. Uh, there are a couple of organizations where I would start. Uh, Indian Health Service. There's plenty of data there. Um, National Congress of American Indian, um, uh, and then the. Um, Here's another one, uh, National Indian Health Board. Those are those are national organizations that I would look at. Um, and then at universities, there are some universities that have a large uh, like cohort of or, or a centers um, for American Indian Health, Johns Hopkins being one of them, uh, Center for Indigenous Health. Um, there's one at the University of Colorado um, so there are particular universities that, that have these centers. I would look at their websites too, uh, reach out to them. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, and, I, and I think part, part of what maybe the hesitation of some people would be and why some people would be calling it like difficult or it's difficult to engage mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, just like any, any other culture that we're not familiar with, right? Uh, I think it comes from a place of uh, not knowing the do's and don'ts, right? We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to, uh, um, I guess we make ourselves vulnerable <laughs> by engaging with a community we don't necessarily know. So I think, I think what you re recommended of engaging with some of those organizations uh, ahead of time uh, may alleviate some of that uh, knowledge gap uh, that we sometimes feel. Um, thank you. Um, now, if you had uh, one more question for you, if you had your way of, um, uh, if you had the opportunity to create your own uh, research cohort uh, and, and create uh, uh, your own organization of nurse researchers looking at the Native American population, what would, what would something like that look like for you? I would. Um, Who it, would you want on your team, sort of say? <laughs> it would require probably at least several more nurses at my level, so at the PhD level, and then um, some in the in the pipeline, right? Um, maybe s statistician, epidemiologist, <laughs> um, and some funding. Uh, certainly funding that would, you know, non-competitive funding that would would um, allow a lot of creativity, some for, from, some for research, but also some for training. And we can't do the 
do the work without um, having people in in the in the pathway to to replace us, but also to contribute to the work. Um, you know, and I say that um, not to say that we're we're there, but that's where we're going, right? We have a pathway to nursing public health and STEM for Aani and Nakota high school students. So starting at a at an earlier age, influencing them, and then we have a training program for undergrad students, um, and then we have our team at Fort Peck and Fort Belknap. Um, that um, we've won in a PhD, currently in a PhD program, um, and hopefully um, uh, won in a master's program here at Hopkins. Um, and so we just we just have to, as, as they say in 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 our native communities, grow our own. Right, right. Now you mentioned something that that I, I was going to ask you: funding. How is funding? Um, for studies in the native populations? Because I know some things get more attention than others, and this is an area that I'm not I'm not in right now. Uh, but how is funding uh, since you are uh, you are doing this kind of work? Right. So uh, let me answer that question after I back up a little bit because you had asked me about my research. Yeah. And I talked a bit about uh, Fort Peck. Yeah. Um, so we we're we're on a path of of you know developing research projects in that community and implementing them, testing, um, evaluating interventions. Um, in 2019, my own community experienced a suicide cluster. Oh well. Um, and I I lost um, my nephew during that cluster, and Sorry. I lost um, some close relatives as well. And so we we turned our our uh, focus a bit to Fort Belknap. Um, we established a relationship with the with the um, tribal leaders, um, and we applied started applying for funding. Um, our first um, and we've taken a um, multi level approach for for addressing suicide at, at Fort Belknap. Our first. Um, Funding came from the WT Grant Foundation. Uh, when we were awarded that, um, we we found um, uh, we found out that half of the funding would come from the Doris Duke Foundation. So they're funding uh, our suicide study, um, and then we, um, along with the tribe, um, received uh, Native American Research Centers for Health. Um, grant from the NIH that's funding our pathway to um, nursing public health and STEM for Aani and Nakota High School students. It's also funding our um, adaptation of a, a mental health um, certificate program for um, nurses that work in native communities um, and uh, the training of, of uh, nurse leaders and, and tribal leaders in public health. Um, and then we also received additional funding from the NIH for our summer um, uh, pathways program as well. Um, so uh, there, there is funding, as, as we found out, um, available. Um, I can't say, I can't measure it. 
whether it's a lot, whether it's little. I mean, I, I always, we can always use more um, just because there's so few Native people doing, uh, there's so few people doing the research mm -hmm. in Native communities to address health disparities, who, to address these issues, but there are even few Native people who are doing it. Um, so uh, we need a lot of help. Um, anyway, we can get that. Um, yeah, but funding is, is really, you know, plus in, in addition, we, I'm, I'm housed here in Baltimore. Our work is out in Montana. So we're going out there a lot for yeah. meetings to do the work. Um, so um, now back to your question. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, really the, the funding question, because, you know, um, but you, yeah, but, but from what you mentioned, it's really a, two issues two, or two possible issues. Funding, there's always, you could always use more, which is always, and I think everybody, every researcher would like more funding. Uh, but also the research is not, we don't have enough people researching the community. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's another component of it. Um, how important is it, uh, for for people to and and I know just answer for myself. I mean, it's important, but how sometimes we see research being done without necessarily partnership with the community. How important is it for to make sure that you are partnering with the community in the native populations when you're doing research? There's a big. For the most part, there's a big distrust of research in Native communities. And it's not firsthand experiences. They've, they've heard. Um, but it's, it's because of harms done in research in the past. Historic. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. harms done, you know, it's not too historic, though. It's not right, right. like it's 100 years ago. It's like, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. um, uh, so there's that, but but it's been carried out by primarily by non-indigenous researchers. However, the distrust is research, mm. and whoever's associated with that, whether you're non-indigenous or indigenous. Right. So, I'm paying for uh, the the harms done you know, by other researchers. So that means that I have to be, move cautiously, I have to be respectful. I have to, um, you know, make sure that I'm ensuring that the safety of, of I'm conducting uh, culturally safe research in these in these uh, settings. Yeah, and that's one of the things actually, when, when I read your bio, when you first sent it to me, is that culturally safe research um, which is which is a term I haven't I haven't seen before, which I love by the way. Um, but that that is really and I just had a conversation with a colleague uh, about uh, IRBs and somehow some people view IRBs as the sort of like this bad thing that that just keeps researchers from doing research, but it's really the safety, right? Is that safe? How do you create that safe environment for? the people that we are researching and making sure that we're really not doing harm. Well, IRBs in general are 
the harms done in by research, the harms done through research in, in, in native communities, those those um, studies had IRB approval, right? Right. So if you don't have someone from that community mm. who has that particular perspective, right. who can ask those critical questions, it, it, the approval is almost, you know, it allows harms to happen. So it's also, it's also the, and you're, I'm not, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on this, but um, also making sure. Um, so yeah, so that safety is not only from the researcher perspective, but how are the is representations on those IRBs that are approving the research on top of that, plus partnerships and building trust. So that building trust with, with you know, I think most populations uh, that have historical harm, uh, I think there needs to be a set amount of time dedicated for that trust building, for that research to be successful. Would you say that's something that you, as researchers, everybody should just put in that time? Because it's not like a clinical, necessarily some kind of clinical research where you're just looking at data or blood work and things like that, but actually engaging with communities. How do you build that trust? Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I think it. you have to take time to build the trust, but but I, so for, for us, our, um, so building trust is important. There's ways that you can, it, it, there's specific things that you can do to build that trust. But, um, you know, being respectful is, is goes a long ways as well. So right. if you're conducting research in a tribal jurisdiction, your studies should be authorized by the tribe. Mm. And so for us, we go to tribal leadership and we tell them what we're going to do and we ask their approval. So they authorize our work through tribal resolution. And then we go to the university IRB and then we go to the tribal IRB. Mm. So a lot of tribes have established their own institutional review boards wow. related to those harms done. Right, right. And so um, it's not only, so it takes us a long time to get through those approvals. Um, within our uh, tribal resolution, though, uh, the kind of the the rules of the of the work or the guidelines for, of the work are established, and the tribal resolution is tribal law. Um, so it starts with the project. Um, here's what we have to do for publications. Uh, secondary use of the data requires further tribal approval. Um, so. Uh, and the protection of indigenous knowledge is in there right. as well. So all of that is included in our in our tribal resolutions. Um, and then we um, go through the process of getting IRB approval to the tribe uh, for our uh, research, also through uh, for our publications and our presentations. Um, so, and it's all to protect uh, participants Native, right. Indigenous or Native research participants. Right. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I learned a lot. Um, now, I want to be cognizant of your time. Uh, anything else uh, you want to share uh, with our audience? So I'll go back to that um, 
No, I'll go back to one thing, cultural safety and in, in, in research. So cultural safety is a philosophical and conceptual approach um, that considers how social, political, economic, and historical contexts um, shape experiences and health outcomes. So our health outcomes. Um, research suggests that, um, that um, over one in five Native Americans ex uh, experience discrimination in clinical settings. Uh, this, this finding highlights uh, the importance of cultural safe um, healthcare and training pathways for Native American scholars, but also um, nurses as well. So improving um, cultural safety in research um, is research that aims to understand, respect and acknowledge tribal sovereignty, address historical trauma and endorse indigenous methods. Um, some of that is essential, uh, culturally appropriate, community-based um, and engaged research uh, collaborations with Native American communities and tribes can signal um, like some uh, reparative um, efforts, reestablish trust. And some of that we've been talking about, yeah. the distrust, and inform um, pragmatic solutions to, to longstanding health disparities. Um, rigorous uh, research led by Native American scholars is critical um, to address common uh, and complex health challenges uh, faced by Native American communities. Thank you. Um, I, as you were as you were mentioning this, uh, one last question for you: um, What can nursing do better? in serving uh, the Native American population? I think that we were all in awe and disbelief at what COVID-19 mm -hmm. uncovered. Um, so, 30% without electricity, 40% without running water um, on the Navajo Nation. Um, we have to go beyond, you know, being in awe, being, being oh, how can this happen? Um, how does this happen? Um, and then we just step over it and continue on we have to be moved to action because it's going to take action um you know there's there's too many blatant disparities that have remained unchanged for over 40 years because of our inaction so if we want change and we have to want it um, from top to bottom. Otherwise, we're just stepping over it. We're stepping around it or over it. Agree. Agree. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Uh, so again, thank you for squeezing me into your into your schedule. Uh, we have been listening to Dr. Teresa Brocky. Uh, and uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, and I look forward to bringing you more incredible nurses on future podcasts.
You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.